One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Some came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Last couple of weeks, you'll know that um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride in British politics, right? Um, less than two months ago, Liz Truss became our new Prime Minister. Uh, but after making a few, let's say, controversial decisions, she began to see a sudden decline in her authority. Her own ministers began to hand in their resignation. Um, you know, MPs called for her to resign herself. So what she did, she kind of tussled to regain the authority. She spoke of her government's strength, strength which she ultimately used to force the votes of her own MPs in the House of Commons. Dramatic scenes. Of course, that was a show of weakness which ultimately led to her downfall. And in many ways, a, a similarly desperate attempt to hold on to authority in the face of inevitable defeat lies at the heart of Luke's account of this paralysed man coming to Jesus. You see, in chapter 5, verse 17, Luke introduces us for the first time to some incredibly important characters in all of the Gospels. He introduces us to the so-called Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, some people mischaracterise these guys simply as the baddies in the Gospels. And, you know, I can see where they're coming from, but that's not quite right. Rather, the Gospel writers, Luke here included, use the Pharisees as the case study of how not to respond to Jesus. So baddies, okay, that's a bit simplistic. How not to respond to Jesus, because they're always contrasted with someone in the passage who responds correctly to Jesus. And so today's passage basically begins four little stories, four little accounts um, of Jesus' confrontations with the Pharisees, where we learn what our response to Jesus should be. And the important thing to know for our passage today is that the Pharisees had the authority over Jews in Jesus' time. So the, the, the Romans governed politically, but the Pharisees ruled religiously. 
They had made themselves God's representatives on earth, which essentially gave them the authority to interpret God's law by adding all sorts of rules and traditions onto what it actually said. And to be a faithful Jew in that time, you basically had to follow these extra laws that they had created. So these guys essentially gave themselves the authority to to declare someone in the right with God or in the wrong, an insider or an outsider, clean or unclean. Essentially, they had the authority to forgive sins, which is the very thing at the heart of today's passage. Now, you'll remember that over the last few weeks, we've actually seen Jesus demonstrating authority, authority in his teaching over demons, over creation, over illness. And so Jesus' authority is a real challenge to these guys. Like Liz Trust, they basically have to tussle to re-establish their authority as crowds flock to Jesus to hear his teaching and see his miracles. And so interestingly, the Pharisees too here have come to get the measure of this Jesus. Look at verse 17. The Pharisees had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, I don't know what your geography's like, but Jesus is up there in the yellow bit, Galilee. These guys have come from down here through hostile Samaria to come and get, to see what they're up against. They feel their authority under threat, so they've come that far. So that's that's the kind of first character in our story today, the Pharisees. The second, of course, is the paralyzed man. And Luke is going to contrast how these two characters respond to Jesus' authority in order to show us how we too should respond. And if we're Christians here, I don't know, it depends on what kind of disposition you are, I guess. But we might think, well, I'm obviously more like the paralyzed man. You know, I've come to Jesus and I don't doubt it. That's a a great thing. But let me ask you a slightly more piercing, soul-searching question. Who or what has the authority to forgive you your sins? Not just sins generally. I want you to actually think about them. Some of you don't have to think hard. The the actual sins that come back to you on a regular basis or are besetting in this present time. Who has the authority to forgive you those sins? Because I think if we dig a little deeper into that question through today's passage, we might find they're actually a little bit more like the Pharisees than we care to believe. And if that's true, I just think God has the most amazing freedom for us, much like this paralysed man who stood up, rolled up his mat and walked out the door. Who has the authority to forgive your sins? Hopefully you've got that passage open. We're going um, to jump in, walk, walk through it for, for a few minutes. So let's start in verse 17. What's Jesus doing? What he characteristically is doing, he's teaching the word of God in a house. And the crowds are so packed into this house that, that kind of people are spilling out of the door. Men and women are kind of jostling to crane their necks through one of the windows to see Jesus and to hear his preaching. And at this point, a paralysed man is brought, we find out from Mark's gospel, by four men around the corner to where they've heard Jesus' teaching. Now, we don't know why the man is paralysed. He might have had some accident in the course of his life. Perhaps he used to work on a construction site 
Perhaps he was playing in a tree as a, as a child and he fell, getting the wrong side of a horse and cart, not sure. No, no national health service. So either way, this is a sufferer. Here is a suffering man. And doesn't suffering have that habit of either pushing us away from God or bringing us to Christ in our desperate need? And you can imagine their frustration when they turn the corner and see how impossible it is to get this stretcher anywhere near Jesus. And you know that feeling, don't you, when you're in a desperate rush and you turn out onto a road and the traffic's like backed up. It's like, ah, so annoying. But it's in this frustration that Luke begins his contrast between the Pharisees and the man. Because while the crowds jostle for position, what are the Pharisees doing? What's their posture? Well, verse 17, they were sitting there. (laughs) They were sat. They might be listening carefully to their challenger. And what's the posture of the paralyzed man? Well, verse 18, he had come to be laid down at Jesus' feet. Two weeks ago, Peter falls to his feet or to his knees in worship of Christ. Last week, the leper felt his face down before Jesus. The paralysed man had come to be laid at Jesus' feet, a picture of desperation and worship. The contrast with the Pharisees couldn't be starker. Well, I wonder how you'd describe the posture of your heart before the Lord Jesus this morning. Maybe you're feeling like you've got this Christian life down or or maybe you're desperate to receive his healing and his forgiveness. And the posture of these men and the paralytic is emphasised by Luke even further because you think they'd see the crowd and be like, not today, mate, so we're going to have to come back another day. But no, they don't do that, do they? Verse 19, look at the lengths they go to to get this man before Jesus. They, They go up on the roof and you might be like how do you do that well here's a here's a kind of picture of it to help you visualize because houses in first century Israel they had they had stairs up to flat roofs constructed with with timbers and they they laid sticks kind of crossways over those timbers and then reeds and branches and thistles were essentially laid across that layer and then about a foot worth of dirt was packed on top of that to make it watertight And these guys literally with bare hands went up and they just unpacked each of these layers of the roof. I mean, what a challenge. Sometimes the only thing stopping me meeting with the Lord Jesus in the morning is the prospect of 10 more minutes in bed. These guys stopped at nothing. And you can picture the scene from inside the house, can't you? Dust starts to, to kind of fall everywhere as the dirt is pulled up and sunbeams kind of come down on, on Jesus as he's teaching. And Jesus kind of looks up a bit confused and so too do the crowds. They kind of look up as this guy is lowered down into accommodating hands and, and eventually the paralytic is laid at Jesus' feet. And Jesus doesn't laugh. I would probably laugh, to be honest. He just doesn't laugh. He doesn't question what's going on. He doesn't mind being interrupted. Instead, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, 
your sins are forgiven. Now, what a weird thing to say. I want us to feel Jesus' self-declaration of authority in this statement. First of all, Jesus hasn't even met this guy from Adam, and yet he confidently asserts his sinfulness. It's, I mean, it might seem a bit harsh. But Jesus affirms what God says to each of us throughout his word, which is that no matter who we are, no matter what we've suffered, no matter what our excuse is, we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. And Jesus knows the man's sins. Imagine that. At this moment, though we hide from those around us, even our our church family, Jesus knows your sins. The way you treat your wife, the way you badmouth or manipulate others, your ongoing pursuit of control in your life, your porn or gaming addiction, your, your lack of generosity. You know, we, might, we might do our best to either convince others or even ourselves that we're not all that bad, and yet it just doesn't convince Jesus Christ. He knows. But Jesus doesn't condemn the man, does he? He doesn't condemn the man, he forgives him. Why does Jesus forgive this man? Was it because, well, he kind of said, well, he must have had a pretty bad lot in life. Well, no, verse 20, because he saw their faith. In contrast to the Pharisees, this man trusted that Jesus is who he said he is. Romans 5 verse 1 says that we have been justified, that is, forgiven of our sins and made right with God. How? Through faith, such that now we have peace with God. Friend, he calls him. Your sins have been forgiven. Perhaps you need reminding this morning that your simple, often doubting, often wavering, desperate and broken faith that brings you to Jesus is the evidence that your sins are forgiven. But we must also see that Jesus forgave his sins not because of what the man professed with his mouth. He didn't hear of their faith. No, he saw it. He saw how much they longed to come to him. And for us too, it is safe, it's faith alone which saves us. But the kind of faith which saves is never alone. You might have heard that. You can always see saving faith in the, it, at work in Christians' lives, in our prioritising to meet with the Lord and his people, in our repentance of sin, in our humility to love and serve one another. And of course we're works in progress, of course that you see that over time. But he sees your faith at work this morning and he says... To you, friend, your sins are forgiven. There's one other thing I just think is really a bit odd about Jesus' forgiveness of sins here. I don't quite know how to put it, but... Well, this man hadn't really come for forgiveness of sins, had he? He's not not like, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I'm a broken sinner. I lie at your feet. Forgive me. No, no. He'd, He'd come to be healed from his suffering. Well, isn't it so often the case that we come to Jesus asking him for what our hearts are desperate for and he gives us what we really need? 
A new believer might cry out to Jesus to take away their physical pain. And Jesus holds out the medicine for their greatest need, the forgiveness of their sins. We might pray that God will make this or that situation happen. And he answers by allowing time to drag on and on as we grow in the patience and trust that we don't currently have in him. You see, God uses pain and desperation to bring us to him to have our greatest need met, our sin and the havoc it wreaks in our lives forgiven. He says, friend, it's gone, it's forgiven. And he promises that whether he does answer those prayers of our heart on earth or not, well, in eternity, our physical pain and our gut-wrenching longings will be put to bed in the perfect place of peace and satisfaction. Friend, your, your sins are forgiven. Welcome, welcome home. I mean, what a bombshell is that? You can imagine being there. What? And it's this point, the Pharisees, they're sat there, but they're sat up in their seat. They're like, we've heard, we've come from thousands of miles away. I don't know if it's thousands, you can do the geography. We've come from Jerusalem and Judea and all over Galilee, and we've heard it from the horse's mouth. This is what we came for. Here is the challenge to our authority as God's own representatives, they think in their hearts. Verse 21, they begin to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I don't know if you've ever heard some people who challenge the Christian faith saying, Jesus never claimed to be God. And not only is that just patently not true across the Gospels, but it's, even in these kind of places, it's patently not true. And it's not a mistake that the Pharisees made. They knew and know that God alone can forgive sins. And they believed it was their authority as his representatives to dish it out. So by forgiving this man's sins, Jesus is claiming an authority that belongs to God alone. And in so doing, he's undermining the Pharisees' authority and they bristle in their hearts. And so verse 22, without a word, Jesus knows what they are thinking. Isn't that a startling thought? That the risen Christ knows what you are thinking this morning as you hear his word preached. As you hear the words, friend, your sins are forgiven, the risen Christ knows what you are thinking. It's amazing, scary, but amazing. And so he comes right back up at them without them opening their mouth, verse 23. Which is easier to say? That's important, to say. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Well, the answer is, is pretty obvious, isn't it? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one could prove Jesus wrong. Okay, they're forgiven. They might be, they might not be. No one can say otherwise. But to say get up and walk, well, Jesus' authority to forgive sins is only legit if this guy who's been paralysed for years and years actually gets up, takes up his mat and walks out the door. And so Jesus utters the key verse of our passage this morning. Verse 24, what does Jesus want to to say to you this morning? Verse 24, but I want you to know, what do you want us to know, Jesus? I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's saying to the Pharisees and to the crowd and to us that I want you all to know that I am God and that I alone have the authority to forgive sins. And because I want you to know that, 
I will prove it to you. And at this point, Jesus turns to the paralyzed man, verse 24, and says, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And at the powerful word of Jesus, the man gets up, takes up his mat, and walks home praising God. And the crowd, too, are absolutely filled with awe. But you know what? I do, we don't get the Pharisees' response here. We kind of do over the next couple of episodes. But we don't really get the Pharisees' response here. But I wonder if they've actually understood Jesus' point here better than the crowds. The crowd shouts, verse 26, We've seen remarkable things today. The Pharisees are furiously thinking, We've heard remarkable things today. You see, Jesus doesn't heal the man to wow the people with his power. He heals the man to demonstrate his authority to forgive sins. I imagine many of us have asked God to heal us at various points in our lives. And often in time, he says yes, but often he doesn't. Often he doesn't. And so it's important that we don't miss Jesus' point here. He isn't saying... When I forgive a person, I heal them. He might, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying when someone comes to me in faith, I forgive them and I have proven my authority to forgive their sins by healing this paralysed man. You see, the crowd misunderstood and so marvelled at what they saw, the healing. The Pharisees understood and so marvelled at what they heard. That is, that Jesus claims to forgive sins. But the Pharisees rejected him. The Pharisees said no. Well, what about you? Do you believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive you your sins? As um, As we just close up, I just want to introduce you to an old friend of mine. I'll be honest, I've not seen Tom for um, a good few years. Um, But for him, he's not actually called Tom, by the way. Changed his name. Um, Because I did actually have a friend called Tom, who some of you know. So it's not him, before you say. Um, uh, But for him, this question of authority to forgive sins was particularly relevant. Tom was, and he still is, a Christian who believed Jesus died for his sins, to forgive him. It's just that Tom didn't feel forgiven. He always carried with him a sense of guilt. He felt God's disapproval. He knew that that had a lot to do with the fact that he was abused as a, as a child, which was part of the reason he'd become so sexually promiscuous through his teenage years. But he couldn't just blame the abuse. He, he knew how badly he treated those young women, he was a, their faces often would just still haunt him and his sins would just haunt him. He was a, he was a pastor's son and he was always expected to be the, the good Christian. And from the outside, he, he, he very much had his life together. You know, his home was in good shape, active service at church. He, he ticked all the right boxes. He knew that Jesus' death on the cross forgave sins, but he found it far easier to believe that about the other people in church than his own sins. And so he constantly kind of tried to keep up with other Christians through his, his Bible knowledge, through his bookshelf, 
through his sign-up to Rotors. He'd search online, trying to use other Christians' experience to kind of assure him of his own experience. And after many years of emotional strain, he finally came to what is sadly a common conclusion. In a pub one September evening in 2010, Tom looked at me after a sip of his beer and he said, Johnny, I know God forgives me. I just can't forgive myself. Brothers and sisters, who had the authority in Tom's life to forgive his sins? He did. His emotions, his online community, it was at his word that he would accept the assurance of Jesus' forgiveness or not. And don't, me hear, don't hear me wrong, in no way am I having a dig at Tom here. He was and is a clear Christian brother. Like, absolutely love the guy to bits. But I use his story because I think all of us can relate to him in some ways, can't we? If it's down to our feeling forgiven, haven't we given ourselves the authority to forgive our sins? Aren't we more like the Pharisees than we think? Can't we see how we have not believed Jesus' authoritative word of forgiveness when our sense of God's love or presence goes up or down on how we sense our Christian life is going? When we constantly compare ourselves to others, tussling to keep up or get ahead. When we spend so much time soul-searching to find evidence that we are forgiven and loved. Let me tell you, the evidence isn't in you. You don't have the authority can see how much like the Pharisees we are in giving ourselves that authority. See, when we disbelieve Jesus' authoritative word that our sins are truly and once for all forgiven, we might not ask, oh, you know, who can forgive sins but God alone? But instead, subversively, we simply make ourselves our own God by using our own authority to say whether Jesus' words are true or false for me. And if you can relate to that, you've got to know... (laughs) You're not alone. This is what we all do in some ways. It's part of our sinful nature that rebels against letting God be God, that rebels against the truth and authority of God's word. But what should we do? What do we do as Christians when we get that conviction of the sin that Jesus believes in each one of us? What do we do with that? Well, I just think it's right here in the passage, isn't it? It's right here. This is what we do. We come and in our hearts, we lie broken and needy and sinful at the feet of the only one who has authority to forgive our sins. In so doing, unlike the Pharisees, we renounce our authority to have the final word about whether or not we are forgiven. Because we hear Christ's authoritative word to us this morning, verse 20. When Jesus sees your faith as you come to him, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. These are the words to you from the one who upholds the galaxies. Will you let Jesus have the final word about what is true about you right now? See how silly it is to think that we have authority to declare ourselves forgiven or not. It'd be like a multi-million pound company going bankrupt and little me coming along being like, don't worry, your debts are gone. I'm going to pay for them. 
In case you don't know me very well, that's ridiculous because, of course, I don't have the financial resources to say that. And so I don't have the authority to say that. And neither do we have the same spiritual resources to pay for our spiritual debts. But Jesus does. He lived a perfect life on our behalf and he died the death our sins deserved. He has the authority, therefore, to declare your sins forgiven and for it to be the final word. And this is such good news. I know I sound angry. I always sound angry when I preach. But this is such good news, right? Being a Christian means simply trusting that God declares something about you this morning and for the rest of our lives that we simply don't have authority to undo or undermine. He says... Across scripture, Acts 10.43, all the scripture testifies about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through your name. No, not through your name, through his name. Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Luke 5.20, friend, your sins are forgiven. Past sins are wiped clean. Future sins will not be counted against us. Present sins are used by a heavenly father to bring us once again to the Lord Jesus and find forgiveness. Can you feel the liberation of that good news? It's it's freedom from the burden of guilt and shame that we so often carry on our shoulders that if we take hold of today, we'll see us stand up and leave these four walls this morning praising God just like the paralyzed man who came to Jesus 2,000 years ago and who left forgiven and liberated, praising God. Shall I pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, so often we rebel against you in the way we live our lives, and yet, Father, so often as Christians, we rebel against your authority by claiming for ourselves what is not ours to have. Lord, we have, as sinners, no authority to tell ourselves or feel ourselves forgiven. But this morning, Lord, we do what it is to be Christian. We simply come to you in our need, and we hear the authoritative words declared over us as individuals and as a church. Friends, your sins are forgiven. And Heavenly Father, we just praise you. And we lift up our voices now in praise of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who could have done this for us. In his name we pray. Amen.